Good evening, and welcome to the Celluloid Pudding Podcast. I'm your host, Beth. We will be presenting the lovely film, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, starring Hugo Weaving, Guy Pierce, and Terrence Stamp, directed by Stephen Elliott. It's an Aussie film, and it's wonderful. From 1994, the music, the story, the complexity of the relationships, and even a, a little romance thrown in. I'm kind of embarrassed that I haven't seen this film until just before doing this episode. It came out probably a year before Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. They probably both came out on video around the same time, so I have no idea why. I Maybe it was He Who Hesitates is Lost, so I couldn't decide which one I was going to rent. But I can't believe I haven't seen it until now. And it's a wonderful film, and I highly recommend it. We have a slightly abbreviated discussion, because we're having some technical difficulties. But I think we hit all the high points. Before we get into the discussion, I do want to recommend, from The Daily Show, the podcast, Beyond the Scenes, and it's hosted by Roy Wood Jr. And about six months ago, they posted an episode, The Forgotten Queer History of Drag, featuring Bob the Drag Queen, who has previously appeared in RuPaul's Drag Race, and he's in the series... We're here on HBO, which is a a reality series where three drag queens, sort of borrowing from Priscilla Queen in the Desert, three drag queens go across country and go to these small towns and enlist people to learn drag and to put on a drag show. There's also a really good discussion after with uh, Frank DeCaro, who is an author and contributor to The Daily who wrote the book Combing Through the Big Wigs of Show Business, as well as journalism professor Channing Joseph, who was also the author of the book House of Swan, Where Slaves Became Queens. Really fascinating discussion. Went deep, deep, deep into the history of drag, uh, the modern history of drag. The pool of drag is deep and wide. It is communal. It is cross-cultural. And we can see throughout history where drag and expressions of drag frequently escape the boundaries of the stage. Drag is not just entertainment. It's an expression of identity and joy. And it is a pronouncement of liberation. I was thinking while I was preparing this episode of just some of the movies right off the top of my head where you have a character that is either in drag or appears in drag or drag is a plot device. Drag has already become very mainstream, not just because of RuPaul's Drag Race, but long before that. I mean, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of several films. Blue Angel with Marlena Dietrich, iconic scene of her in Tuxedo wearing male drag. Greta Garbo in Queen Christina, the film we just did, Some Like It Hot, Pink Flamingos with Divine. John Waters decided he was going to take Divine and make several movies with her, and she became a just a, a cult hero because of it. The film Hairspray, Edna Turnblatt. It is now tradition, if any actor is playing that role, it will be played or should be played by uh, a man in female drag. That is tradition for that production. Dustin Hoffman won an Oscar for Tootsie. Victor Victoria, fantastic film starring 
Robert Preston, James Garner, and Julie Andrews in the titular role as a woman in male drag trying to pass as a man who is a female impersonator. Mrs. Doubtfire with Robin Williams, the French film La Cage Fall, and the American counterpart with Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. Great scene at the end of that film where they all have to get into drag costume to escape the press that's hounding them. The Nutty Professor. Eddie Murphy, not only does he wear a ton of prosthetics to play all the different clump characters, but he's also in drag. And uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, film I'm very, very familiar with, if you've listened to some of our older episodes, with uh, Tim Curry in the lead role. And when you think about comedians, Milton Berle, Flip Wilson, all of the members of the comedy troupe Monty Python's Flying Circus, a comedy troupe that is near and dear to my heart and to my generation, the kids in the hall. They all, at one time, donned drag to play, portray different characters in, in their comedy skits. Tyler Perry and Martin Lawrence, more recently, Tyler Perry has, has made a, an entertainment empire playing Medea. So drag is very, very, very mainstream now. Tom Hanks got his start on Bosom Buddies with Peter Scolari playing two men trying to find a cheap apartment in New York by uh, dressing up in drag so that they could live in an all-women's residence. In its way, drag entertainment has taken up, finally, its rightful place. Drag is not just entertainment or an art form. It is an expression of our human condition. As always, we encourage you to DM us on Instagram at PudPod, P-U-D-D-P-O-D, or on Twitter, CelluloidPuddin, P-U-D-D-N, on Twitter. DMs are open on both of those. Or you can email us at celluloidpudding at gmail.com. Tell us about the movies you would like us to cover. And if you're interested in hosting or if you're so inclined, go ahead and reach out to us and we'll get back to you. We promise. Hope you guys have a happy, joyful, and safe pride. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good go. evening, folks. Welcome to the Celluloid Pudding Podcast. I'm your host, Beth, and joining me for this lovely month of pride. Hello, June. My, uh, my progeny, star child, Veronica, how you doing? I'm doing great. Just how are you say how doing? you're doing, B. <laughs> Well, I don't know what you want I'm me doing to say. Myself. You're just and going into a, it. You're not being clear. Because I, I want to get to David's introduction because I'm dying to introduce him as David California. Okay, okay, start. <laughs> I'm just dying. Oh, my, oh God. my goodness. You're a hoot. You're a hoot. Okay, all right, run it back. Run it back. No, I get it. You He's got your camera. in my Let's phone go. as David California. Okay. Run it back. Good Run afternoon. It back. Good morning. Good evening, folks. Okay. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening, folks. And welcome to the Celluloid Pudding Podcast. Joining me this lovely month of June, month of pride, is my star child, Veronica. According to my voice teacher, which I do find yes. concerning. He's the you only one to... Okay. You can't say that, which I'm gay. <laughs> Can I swear? Is swearing allowed here? Yes. 
can we cover the ground? Swearing is definitely we are some unruly Gen Z, so you know, the, are you, are you the generation notoriously known for swearing, I guess. No, um, we just kiki <laughs> and, you know, the verbiage changes. The verbiage. This this woman here, this verbiage. this beautiful Vero, she loves to swear. She will, we will, uh, actually, it's a problem. We'll You're horrible. I'm being honest. We will be walking. <laughs> I don't know. There will be a little five-year-old family of three little child and she'll just be like god this this fucking smoothie is so good i'm like oh my god but that's just me see my problem is i'm just hyper aware yeah i think oh god. it's we are the two evils and we balance each other out and that's why we're such good friends and let's leave it at that you know <laughs> sure i have no idea where you got the cursing from Monica. so what movie are we doing, guys? Oh, really? Oh, really? We are discussing. We are discussing Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the movie. Sorry, I'm enjoying myself a little bit of wine. Um, I love that for you. Nice. I Stacy was having my stepmother was having some rosé. She invited me to have a glass. Very nice. So yeah, um, me and Vero, I think first encountered Rose's this in movie. Now. Well, I can't speak for you. Rosé is very in, and rightly mm-hmm. so. At the Trader Joe's. Yeah. My favorite is a little bit of a Moscato. So we, we know the synopsis of the story. Tick gets a message. We don't know from who. We find out later it's from his his wife, Felicia, jolly good fellow, and Bernadette are a little miffed because Tick hasn't been exactly honest and forthcoming. And uh, they sojourn off into the outback towards Alice Springs, which is... What in the middle of Australia? It's for reference. I'm gonna Google. Google. I'm gonna Google Map it. I'm gonna <laughs> Google, Google Map. map. Uh, Stephen Elliott said it was like somewhere in the middle of the outback. I don't know, so I don't know exactly. <laughs> where. Sydney, Australia. That's where they start, correct? And they go to Alice Springs, Australia. It's a 29-hour drive. Not and bad. It's yeah, yeah, it's it's like well here's Sydney. Oh my god. Okay. Oh my god. There we go. So there's Sydney and then it's there's like smack dab like in, in the middle. Smack dab in the middle. <laughs> Funny. You know they all three they all three have a thing, I think. Tick has is is on a mission to respond to this mysterious phone call, which we find out later. It's his family. Uh, Bernadette is grieving because she lost her husband. Yes, trumpet. trumpet. Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. I have in my notes. I would like to know how trumpet became trumpet. Hmm. Well, there was a trumpet on top of the casket. So I'm yeah, assuming. but like, how did he? How did he get the trumpet? Like, where did the trumpet come? Like, I want the origin story. You know, of spin the, off. Of the I would assume from the store. What store? Did he have like a mentor type of figure? The, probably like, the music you know, store. The was trumpet it a family store. heirloom? Like we don't know these things. The trumpet store. You are the single most invested person in the character trumpets from Priscilla Queen of the Desert. Yeah. In all the world. And I wear that badge with pride. If trumpet has a hundred fans, you are one of them. If he has no fans, you're dead. 
She's number one of the hundred fans. It's true. Trumpet, Trumpet is there's an interesting discussion there. Trumpet is 25, we find out, which is considerably younger than Bernadette. And they have this interesting talk. Bernadette and Tick slash Mitzi have a, a talk about Trumpet being so young. And she says something about how it's sort of cool. You know, she gets you get dinner invites or something if you're married to a, a you know trans person. It makes you. Uh, did, did you guys catch that conversation or no? I do actually remember that conversation. It was at the funeral, wasn't it? It was sort of after, a little bit after the funeral because uh, Tick says something about you, you know. Do you th- do you think about him? Or that's like no, not not really. <laughs> and that I never looked at it like that or that it was some sort of weird bizarre status symbol for for um for trumpet to be with a trans woman you know that, that's kind of like what Bern- bernadette is saying hmm. yeah, I, mean, I, I do find that interesting i think for a trans woman to be able to find someone who is younger and accepting of them that especially back in the day would be a triumph I wonder the other way around how that would be not how that would be appealing but how that would be like rewarding particularly in the past like yeah I, I think it was just kind of a weird weird statement maybe on um queerness like oh there. look I'm I'm more queer than you are because I have a trans partner maybe that's maybe that's what uh Bernadette is implying ah uh, maybe and it's just something I never considered back in the day, you know, back yeah. during that era when this film came out. And when I was, I mentioned Bob earlier, that relationship sort of, I, I thought it was sort of, I thought it was nice. I thought it was a lovely uh, sort of romance sideline in the movie. It's always nice to see gay people, queer people just being able to be in love. The common Bob, thing of why does the. Bob's not necessarily gay, though. Veronica, what do you think? I mean, I just think they think of love as something simpler and it doesn't need like any of the LGBTQ labels. And I think that's what's really beautiful and profound about it. You know, I don't think he necessarily cares as much as her being trans, more so her ability to perform. You know, he saw ballet girls when he was in Sydney and seeing one you know at his dinner table I feel like that means leaps and bounds more they're not expecting this mechanic who's out in the middle of the outback to understand what they do for a living Mm -hmm. and he's like oh no lay girls I remember when I was in Sydney and I was a young man and he's kind of like wistful as he's recalling those days and he's impressed that Bernadette was one of the original lay girls and for some reason he's like we got to do this show here at the (laughs) local bar and uh I was shocked by what what happened next I don't I'd love to know what you you guys thought of Cynthia this was the scene sitting there (laughs) with my family that I really was like Oh goodness gracious! I'm like gonna be murdered for not saying anything. Do we find it problematic at all? Cynthia's the stereotyping there. 
you know that the, really threw me honestly Asian stereotypes. Sex yeah. very special no. it's like <laughs> how can you i don't know when there's a show that's like preaching acceptance or about a minority group that then plays on and makes fun of a different minority group it's strange but then also the you know a whole thing is you know they're not treating the gay people you know as if they're also devoid of stereotypes in this movie like they make plenty fun of the gay people and the queer people in the movie so uh, but, uh, i still don't think it justifies it it's just odd you know you're saying it, it doesn't, doesn't justify it or it's just odd looking back on it now it's just odd i don't i think it's just odd i mean it doesn't add to the story at all to have this really overly stereotypically asian insane character she's just kind of there for the laugh it sticks well, I, out a bit i think her purpose is to show in contrast what these people view as entertainment because uh, you have three extremely coordinated put together queens on a bar but because they're not real women they're very disinterested whereas she comes out does her little act they're all for it ping pong moment you know it is a comedy there is equality in camp that is is sort of can be raunchy can be over the top can be uh, into stereotypes so if you read the character that way as sort of a camped up stereotype it, we shouldn't excuse it but i think that was maybe the intent there and he doesn't they, they all kind of like have that moment of examining their past tick has tick mitzi has hers with the um i do love that that costume with the chandelier oh my gosh Wait. yes <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then i also like the the recollections right so felicia has her recollection of the experience with the uncle and we we find out he's basically a, a spoiled little rich brat she's basically a little spoiled rich brat because mom buys everything, including the bus. The, I had to watch it the second time to understand where, where did she get $10,000 for the bus that was with a fully stocked bar. And then Bob is recalling how he winds up meeting. He just got drunk and met her in a bar somewhere. And, and they then, got married. And so <laughs> now, you know, now they, and they say things like, well, why couldn't you just sell her off? Which is ridiculous. You wouldn't do that, but they're, they're just being very catty and campy. So mm. I, I guess we're expected that they're supposed to get away with that. I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't quite work for you, David. <laughs> it was just, I mean, it sounded, I'd be very funny. I can safely say prior to that moment, I had never seen, you know, ping pong balls flying out of the woman's vagina um, yeah <laughs> but it, do, it, it just leaves you with a little a little funky taste in your mouth yeah and it you're does. just it does you're like maybe if we had had a moment with her where she had you know stepping out of the caricature yeah she had shown a moment of genuinity i don't know if she does i mean like i said it's been a minute since i've watched the movie does she She's very no, sweet. No, when Bob, she's... 
Bob brings her brings them over to feed them and the, the joke about lamb with meringue. <laughs> That's disgusting. That's horrible. Uh, but she's kind of portrayed as psycho because he yeah. takes Bob takes the, the ladies down to perform at the bar and they're like, What why can't Cynthia come? He's and you're going, Well, this this is no way to treat your wife, you know, just keep mm-hmm. her captive at home. But then that that locked cupboard and all the ping pong balls spill out and she's just crazed. And I had no idea why until I did. <laughs> special. Yeah, Very it was. Special. What did you guys think of when they get to Cooper Petey? The the rough mining town that Bob tells him, be careful. Yeah, because it's the most dramatic part of the whole film. It was scary to think of anybody in a situation like that where you're so outnumbered. That can be scary. Yeah, I remember I had had to go to New York like a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it was really like last past weekend, and I was like anxious to go to New York with everything in the news lately. I've been stressed to be in like a place like a city. I would not fare well in the, the mining town in Australia, I think. I don't know why I was so worried to go to New York. I'm like, come on. There are people, there are mine, a mining town anywhere. I would not fare well. Let's put it that way. <laughs> You're one step closer to uh, some really interesting things happen along the way. They They start in the first town. They get into that drinking contest. They win. Yeah. They, there's an altercation. This rather um, rough looking woman tries to insult Bernadette. Then then they kind of warm up to the locals. But when they're leaving the next morning, their bus has been vandalized. And it's set. What does it say? Oh, God. I think it says horrible. the F word, doesn't it? Oh, something um, about AIDS. Something about yeah, AIDS. AIDS, leave. Yeah. It's just on the bus. They they get on the bus, but before they leave, I I like that Felicia is so resourceful because I didn't understand what she was purchasing, and then I realized, oh, it was a paint you know auto spray kit. Because I was wondering how is she making those colors come off the back of the bus? (laughs) Realized that's how, but they get stranded because they take a wrong turn. I love that. That Bernadette is the one that says, I will come back with the Calvary. (laughs) And she does. So good. It just sort of symbolizes her strength, I think. Mm -hmm. Her resilience. She's a survivor. Even the first couple that picks her up, she thinks she's going to die. (laughs) Yeah, no, she's convinced. Takes her right back. And they come out. And of course, they take one look at at Mitzi, who's been out there rehearsing. In full drag all day i love i love that part of the film because they're all off just doing their own thing Mm -hmm. and it says so much about the their personalities the first thing felicia's going to do is she's going to paint the bus and then try and figure out a strategy for whatever bernadette's going to go find the calvary and and tick's (laughs) like i'm just gonna rehearse my drag yes to that in this beautiful dynamics uh, yeah. are all so funny in this movie the like yeah. the reading I mean in this movie and also in um in the other oh what was it called the movie we talked about it way way back 
Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. The bickering, the reading, the shade in all, both of these movies is so, so funny. And then sometimes you really think they all really hate each other. You really, and you're just left thinking, oh my gosh, these girls, why are they, why do they ever ask to go on this bus? And then there's moments where you're like, oh, they just love each other. Yeah, I mean, at first, when they go out, I didn't realize uh, Felicia, Felicia calls Bernadette Ralph. And mm -hmm. that's a big no-no. And I was, kind of, I was kind of shocked when they got back to the hotel room. But it, had I seen this movie in 1994, I would not have understood. I would have been not okay with, like, why is Bernadette beating the crap out of Felicia? But now I understand yeah. why. The, the, uh -huh. the anger. The scene at Cooper PD is horrible. I think that Felicia, Felicia's got a. I love how they're like parental figures to Felicia. <laughs> you, if you're not going to go out to dinner with us, you're going to be at home, at home in the hotel watching TV or something. <laughs> and they're, no. they're out to go ahead. And I love, I love that dynamic. And it's, you know, because when Mitzi finally gets to Alice Springs, he thinks, like, I'm not going to be a good dad. But honestly, You've been kind of parenting your younger friend this whole trip, you know? <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah. You're going to be just fine. And then back to the whole dead naming thing, there's something that Bernadette says is no matter how tough you are, it still hurts. And I feel like that's very profound, especially because we can assume she's been transitioned for quite some time at least a large part of her life and it still hurts imagine hearing that as someone who just came out yeah tick says uh when they when they get back on the bus and the bus has been vandalized he shares that it hurts and and mm -hmm. bernadette, bernadette is there and sort of um reflecting you know kind of validating those feelings and says that Veronica, then she shares that all ties from her family, everyone she knew after she had transitioned, she, as she calls it, the chop, never heard from them again, which is you know, very sad. So she has to be strong. I just love the encounter with the indigenous people yes. in the desert. Oh, I had forgotten yes. about that scene. Yeah. You know how I love a remix, Veronica. You do that... love a remix. <laughs> I would love to have a recording of of that song, a remix of that song of "I Will Survive," but the uh, indigenous Australian, yeah, Aboriginal version of that. I just thought that sounded so cool. It was a very drag validating scene when they're out there in the desert and they notice that the the one. I think I think it was a young man it is just sort of he's really into it. So they they involve him in their drag routine. Do you remember yeah. that? The thing I, I like about it scene. most is that music is so universal and like the language transcends cultures and two very different groups of people are singing along to a song with a very simple message. I will survive. That's something yeah. everyone can re relate to. So I think. The choice of song was very pertinent. 
Not to mention just drag Hall of Fame song to do. Yeah, it is, it is a drag Hall of Fame song. Yeah. That's a, that would be a good topic. Like, what are the top 10 drag Hall of Fame songs? Oh. Um, That's a tough conversation because there are some oldies that I probably don't even know that I probably should. That's probably criminal that I don't. I kind of want to go back to the uh, the the romance aspect between what what did you think of Terrence Stamp's performance? By the way, love Bernadette. Yeah, I just couldn't take my eyes off her. I thought she was just beautiful. Mm. Love. But if you listen to Terrence Stamp, his reaction when he, they first did his makeup is he thought this is a woman who should not go out until the evening, and. <sighs> And I have to confess, I found her to be very attractive as a woman. I found her to be very, very compelling and attractive for me. I, yeah. I can't, I can't explain it other than that. I just found her. I Play found that. her so beautiful. All three of them were straight. Mm -hmm. The Terrence Stamp and Guy Pierce, who I had. I did not realize Guy Pierce was in this film. The first film I saw Guy Pierce in was LA Confidential, which was a huge hit. Mm. And I'm kind of I'm kind of stunned that I'm not saying that uh, Guy Pierce hasn't had a, a big career, but I mean Russell Crowe and he were in the same movie and they should have like the tra trajectory of their career should have been like humongous, but for some reason, Crow's career really, really, really took off. And Guy Pierce has always sort of done more of independent type of films or smaller films, but I, I just, I love him. He's such a great actor, I think. And he's so young in this film. Hugo Weaving plays the lead role. And I thought he was wonderful too. He was very handsome. Stephen Elliott called his face unusual or awkward looking. Oh, and that sure. they, yeah, he said, but I guess he's very good friends with Hugo Weaving and had um, Hugo Weaving had done a lot of AD work with him. And wow. yeah. And uh, because they couldn't find, they, they wanted to land when he was planning this film, he wanted to land one big name and that was Terrence Stamp who was about to quit acting, by the way, his agent was because huh. uh, Terrence Stamp was sick of playing bad guys in American movies, the British bad guy in American movies. And that, that was all he was getting. But he got Terrence Stamp, St Stephen Elliott did. And then he knew Guy Pierce was sort of like the pretty actor that they could cast because he had done some soap operas, I guess, over in Australia. And even people in his production team were like, you've got Terrence Stamp, you've got a great actor that you know really well, that you've worked with before in Hugo Weaving, that you trust to take on this role, but you really need some eye candy. <laughs> so they went with um, <laughs> And I, I forget how old, he looks like he was about 21, 22 years old in the movie. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Drag. We didn't let's talk about drag that. real quick. Let's talk about drag. David, you've done happy drag. To talk about drag. So Vero basically forced me to start drag. And I was Easy. like, you know what? Because there was this U Miami drag competition called Drag Out. And 
I bought, I actually took this little dinky wig from the office, um, like the LGBTQ office. I took, um, there was this little thrifting pop-up thing that had like a blue skirt that I found. And then I think I stole some other pieces from some friends and then just got help with the makeup. I made this great track, a stellar collection of songs. I decided I was going to bring out my violin for one of the songs. And I had a great time, and then I won the competition. But I didn't really, really know much of anything about drag at that point. I don't even think I had watched much of any drag race or seen really very many drag shows. And so that was the start of this lovely drag journey. And now drag is very much a part of my life. Very, very important to me. Um, are you performing? Show. Are you performing right now, or is it just something that you do on occasion? There are some places where I am. So I recently went to a drag bar um, and saw a couple of drag queens perform. And I ran into one of them and I asked her, you know, I, I love to do drag. I've only ever done it twice. And I did the first competition and the second competition a year later. I don't even know where to go to do it. And she told me about this open drag bar that they have in this one town where you can go every Wednesday. They have an open drag stage. You can go up. And then also weekly competitions that they have. Um, yes. other place every Thursday. Now, I don't know if I'll be able to take advantage of those opportunities because I have absolutely none of my drag clothes up here, sadly. Your um, drag is all But I certainly here. would love to. In no. Miami, I know. Well, just to, to encourage you, when they... I, I don't know who did the costuming. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But uh, most of this was done with clothes from Kmart, clothes and materials from Kmart, uh, the costuming from um, Priscilla Queen of uh, the Adventures of Priscilla Queen in the Desert, Crazy. which, uh, yeah, yeah. And they won the Oscar, by the way. For costuming <laughs> yes, design. Yes, they That's did. Great. Yes. I wanted to ask you both, having participated or, or been around Drag Out twice now, two years now, and and seeing a lot of drag, what if you could narrow it down to maybe three or four things that makes a the elements that make a great drag routine? What would they be? Charisma, uniqueness. <laughs> yeah, and charisma, talent. uniqueness, and talent. <laughs> In the words of Mother um, RuPaul. Oh, really? Oh charisma, goodness. uniqueness. Well, okay, so that's what RuPaul <laughs> says. But what do you guys think? Oh. I love, well, I think that depends on your, whatever type of drag you like. I love very theatrical, weaponized BFA type of drag. So I love a lot of BFA? Bachelor of oh Fine gosh, Arts. Bachelor of oh, okay. Arts. BFA. You like the BFA. There's, okay. there's a drag race term called weaponized BFA. And they are like kids that went to theater school and ran off and did drag. And they're always my favorites. I love the singing and the dancing and the acting, and they can just do it and make it look like a Broadway show. That's like my favorite type of drag. But David. I really think a good routine needs good music. You need to be able to keep it fresh. So I think the reveal aspect is so important. Um, I think audience interaction is so crucial. And I still struggle because at Drag Out, you have like a limited amount of time so every time I've ever like corn or um what's the word choreographed a dance, 
I'm like, all right, we're going to have two counts of eight to interact with the audience. And there'll be like barely any time to interact with the audience. I want to get better at it. And also just having a bit of a self-awareness, you know, being like, yes, I'm sexy, but keeping it goofy, keeping it light. You know, not everything needs to be the ultimate drag showdown. You know, sometimes mm. it's okay to kind of be, you know, make fun of yourself. I think it still needs, it needs to have an element of comedy, make them laugh. It needs to be goofy and, and stuff. For me, when I saw you perform at Drag Out two years ago, that was the first time you performed drag. To me, there there's a moment where a great routine takes it completely over the edge or maybe takes it to the point of the absurd. When you pulled out the violin, <laughs> I was I was a puddle. I was like that is that right there, that move right there is is a just makes is the cherry on top of a great drag routine. It really, really is. And I just I was so impressed with all the performers that night. Um because they all seem yeah, to have was... it just well formed routines. Mm-hmm. Very well designed and performed routines. Yeah, the violin was very much I, I thought to myself, I need to like add a silly element or something like you know, it was something special. It was and so I figured it, that was good. It wasn't silly. It, it it bordered on the absurd, but it was it was awesome. The execution was awesome and it was very funny, but it was also uh as you guys like to say, serving. And um, <laughs> yeah. back in in my younger days, uh drag most of the bars would do drag um, on a Sunday night and they might have like an amateur night, but Sunday nights were usually the drag, the drag show. Sundays mm-hmm. were also tea dance drag performers back then were, they were fantastic, but there was a lot of improv improvising as far as the dancing. And there was a lot of serving <laughs> a lot of drama, <laughs> just a lot of drama. And you'd have drag Queens just, they'd tear their dresses the pearls would be scattered all over the floor. It's just messy. kind of very messy, but great, <laughs> but also great. Now, now when drag is messy, at least from drag out and from other experiences that I've seen, it, it very because it, it very much has that feeling of like the trapeze artist falling, and you're like, oh my goodness, they've stumbled or something. You're like, oh no, and it's not yeah. quite the same level of fun. I mean, I think. I have such a limited scope of drag in general of, of what it is. And a lot of it for a lot of people, I think does now center around drag race. So unfortunately in drag race, you have Queens who lip sync for their lives. And those are really the only times that you get to see like a lip sync in that show. And it's always like, who's going to be the better lip syncer. So you have the Queens who will like take the shoes off or like, do the cartwheel or like the wig will fall off or the boobs will fall off or just something ridiculous. And it's hard to like find the joy and the fun in that. Because I, uh, now it's like, well, I'm going home. The joy I, of, and the silliness of like fucking up and there being a mistake. Yeah. So good. It feels like it's gone. But no, it feels like it's gone because now it's like, I don't even know if it was there. I mean, you said it was there because you said that there were pearls on the ground. I think it's, I think it. I think it depends on the instance, though, because because of Drag Race, you know, some people's blunders, they milked. <laughs> and 
Yeah. True. You know, that's how the let loosening started. You can't, oh my gosh. you can't discredit that. But there's also some mistakes that people got chewed out for by the internet. So uh-huh. I think it's real hit or miss. Mm-hmm. I think David made the point too that uh, when they're lip syncing for their lives, which is the only time you really get to see them lip sync, right? Um, yeah. That they're just about to leave. So when they're laying it all on the line, they're just about to leave. And they may be producing the best performance of the show at that point, which is disappointing, I guess, and frustrating. Honestly, yeah, it it's... gives me a lot of anxiety as a, to be like, I need this performance to be so incredible because an okay drag performance just won't cut it for mm. Mother RuPaul. Yeah, but Mother RuPaul's not at drag out. That's true. It's, artif- it's artificial. Pro- yeah, she's not there. Just she's not gonna send. I don't- she's not gonna make me sashay away tonight. So Sebastian's yeah, so not gonna tell you to sashay away. Mm-hmm. Have you? Um, are you familiar with uh, retirement performances? Because I've actually been to one of those, and it it was something that. Uh, at the time, I don't think I. Re- re- at the time, I didn't. It was probably in the eighties, early nineties, and I don't think I appreciated what a big deal that is for a performer to basically retire from drag. And it I've just, heard um, of now. I. I've heard ahead. of them happening, but I've never yeah. been to one. Well, now I'm looking back on that, thinking, "Wow, that was just a really cool experience that I got to be there," because. Um, she had done she had done a lot of shows and was very well known in in Palm Beach County at mm. the time and was a pretty well known performer. So now I'm looking at that and going, wow, it's just actually like a really cool experience to actually be there and share that with that performer. So what is it you like about drag guys? What is it that appealed to you? Because you you guys love Drag Race, and Veronica, I know you've been watching Drag Race long before. Uh, you know, you were watching Drag Race yeah. in high school. Oh, well, well, first of all, it's funny. And it's so quotable. And it's so memeable because they're so candid. Some of the most famous internet memes come from Drag Race. The Sugar Daddy fight on season three with Shangela. Oh and <laughs> Let Loose. Let Loose by Lucy Laduca. From this season. So funny. I think it's so fun now because I can go on Twitter after the episode airs and see so much content being made from it. RuPaul has marketed the hell out of Drag Race and now there's all these like sideshows. Like it used to just be like Drag Race untucked. But now there's a whole community. People are gathering at bars and watching it. People are having watch parties over you know, Zoom and other platforms and watching it, live tweeting it, streaming it. My favorite part of it is that I can root for people in a way that yeah. I don't normally root for people when I'm watching reality TV. Like Survivor, mm-hmm. I, I I don't feel like I've ever really emotionally related to a person on Survivor. Mm-hmm. Big Brother, it's just a lot of people that I'm like, I don't like this person. I don't ever feel like I have anybody I can relate to. Drag Race, different story. I'm, like, rooting for everyone, people I'm not liking, but even then I'm still, like, okay, like, you served. And getting mm. to see all of these 
getting to see this artistry that you don't normally see. The looks will be so stunning, sometimes not. It's fun to see them flop. It's fun to see them thrive. This community of people all are watching and talking about this show, and it's fun to like be welcomed to the booth. And it's also cool to see the show grow and change, too, because like some things stay the same. Like There's always going to be a Snatch game. There's always going to mm-hmm. be a Rusical. There's always Ex- explain, going to... Explain Snatch Game. Snatch Game is a challenge every season on Drag Race where it's about impersonation. So for history, for decades, drag queens have been doing impersonations. And so right. during this challenge, they have to bring an impersonation and try to make Mama Rue laugh. I also just want to pull away from Drag Race for a little bit because it, it's, it's true... Drag Race is very famous and very popular and a lot of people's first, you know, like forays into drag. But there's so much more outside of Drag mm-hmm. Race, truly. Yes. That I still don't even know much about that I would really love to discover more of. That often is found in like like local drag. And I should definitely watch Paris is Burning at some point because that's, you know, like required reading. Um, yeah, you need to watch uh, Paris is Burning. I... I think that's kind of important. Yeah. It's a very, very important film. I saw that in the movie theater uh, first first run with two uh, queer friends. I just remember being so moved and also inspired just mm-hmm. by them. It is one of my all-time favorite uh, queer films. And it, it's a documentary, but it's it's mm-hmm. it's great. It's just really great. And you just, it. when I left that movie theater, I felt, they're sharing their experience as as drag performers, but also their experience as trans, and they're also experiencing their life on the street. I don't know why, but I saw, I felt so so proud to be queer mm-hmm. after that film, watching that film. I, I suppose I have no excuse now. No, you got to see it. You got. It's incredible. It. it really is. It's great. Great film, guys. I know you. You've been to Drag Brunch, yeah, at the Palace. Oh, Drag Brunch. We what love at the palace, Drag yeah. Brunch. If you or anyone you know is in Miami in the area, definitely go to Drag Brunch at Palace on South Beach. It is, it's a time. Now, are they still having drag? Are they still having drag brunches? I thought it the drag brunches. Explain how they're still happening if they're if they've been outlawed. Or they tried to. I don't think they've yet been outlawed in Florida. Not not in Florida, in some other states. Goodness. But um, drag is still allowed in the state of Florida as of today. Okay. So I know that is something he is trying to get. So he hasn't. So what's the. Why are they banning. What is the ban then specifically? What is it? Uh, the bans on drag that he has or he's trying to implement? I believe um, a lot of them basically use intentionally vague wordage saying stuff like these events that are like quote unquote adult performances need to be in like closed places can't be happening in a you know a public setting where they would be like viewable from like out so like uh, you know drag crunches outdoors it would be banning such events from happening outdoors as i understand it could be wrong i'm not too well acquainted with the law and there's also he many of them did, in different states he did ban drag story times 
that type of thing. You have to be over 18 now. So you can't bring the family to drag brunch. You have to all be over 18 to go see a, a drag brunch. Yes. The and then yeah. more recently, his most recent one was the gender affirming care and bathroom regulation. So Florida's a really fun place to be right now. You're being sarcastic. Yeah. So sarcastic. Yeah. Veronica, I'm, I'm curious. You guys started the GSA at, at, uh, when you were in high school, how is the, uh, don't say gay affecting GSA groups across the state of Florida? Are they still able to have that club on campuses in on high school campuses or no? Or do you know what I'm saying? So, like the fellowship of Christian athletes is still out there in, in our so, schools. In our don't have a definitive answer for that because I've heard a lot of different things from a lot of different areas in Florida. I have heard a lot of positive things involving students wanting to get involved and in starting their own clubs in right. pockets such as Jacksonville, who just elected their first gay mayor, mayor. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Donna Deegan. Um, Orlando, Lauderdale, South Florida. But I'm also hearing a lot of negatives from more rural parts of the state. They've got no help out there. There's no one willing to advocate for them or fight for them. I don't know how many teachers out there are threatening to put their jobs on the line. I'm looking at the laws. It just kind of gives places an out to make a stink at their school board and say, you know what, that GSA, we don't want that here. And then they have, they can hold a vote on it and then just do, do away with it. And so places like, I don't, I don't want to single out Mount Dora because I don't know the first thing about Mount Dora other than it's up sort of North of or right around Ocala or something. I think it's like up in near Ocala. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that like the local high school, we don't want a GSA there. I just think it sucks. I think it's wrong. The thing that really touched me about this film is, is really the end of that journey is he's, he's sort of facing his fears, which uh, Tick is facing his fears. He's he's facing the wife that he left, which she seems pretty cool. And I love that their relationship is just sort of left. He calls her wife and she calls him husband, but she also seems to acknowledge that um, at least his bisexuality Mm-hmm. I'm pretty because she she jokes about the the was it the bellman at the at the front of the hotel like hey if yes. you play your card cards right I might be able to <laughs> go hook you guys up right like no big deal I let you go do what you needed to do but I need you now because I'm just totally fried I'm burnt out mm-hmm. and he's terrified that he can't what be a dad they go to King's Canyon and he decides he needs to dress like Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. To say that a film like this is grooming children, I think is, yeah, it might not be appropriate for younger watch, you know, younger viewers. I think it has an important message of acceptance. It's so even strange to see something that's been out for, you know, two decades plus. Touching on you know, such subjects that really people still are struggling to grasp today, to think that this is not like a new conversation and that people still have all these years later, 
very skewed, uninformed views on what being queer is. Yes, I would agree. It's touching on things that we're we're only just now starting to really look at, accept, and at least people that are in the queer friendly community, the ally community, that they're they're like, yeah, we're starting to get it now, and we're we're starting to get comfortable with it, and the fact that it's this film was made in ninety four. And it's not forcing Tick to be, it's not concerned with Tick's sexuality. It's not really concerned with, it's it's just Tick Tick is who Tick is. Tick is who she is. You know, and I, I kind of love that. My thing is, why would you try to take away such a human experience? The cool thing about being human is that we all have different experiences. Mm-hmm. And this giant campaign of queer erasure in me, just like the integration of queer people into our mainstream society. Like, why would you put that mm-hmm. out of hole? Especially when the stuff that we yeah. are doing and we are practicing for ourselves just brings us joy. Mm-hmm. That was the other thing I think that, uh, speaking with Sam about it, the drag is an art form and it's a beautiful art form. It's on chin, a, a cultural tradition and, uh, to have drag ripped away or criminalized seems just so wrong to me. Yeah, it's odd to, you know, yo-yo in terms of, you know, there's they go through periods of acceptance and then times when it's not so accepted anymore. I mean, obviously the AIDS crisis, very, very bad. And then we've been able to rebound from that. And now it almost seems like we might be retracting back, although truly I don't think we could. Not without these things as though these battles have not happened before right. as if similar battles haven't happened before either mm. as though they, how could you not look and like recognize that you're on the wrong side of history? Yeah. It, no. it is certainly baffling. People need to watch these movies and just recognize that this is nothing new. It's been around since longer than they've been alive. Mm-hmm. Right. And to just let loose a little bit. Del- you know, letting loose and just experiencing if somebody's so focused on someone not being just happy and experiencing joy and the art of expression, like mm-hmm. they are too busy deflecting that themselves and they need work. And I feel like yeah, a why lot are we of having people... such intense judgment? You know? Yeah. It's, um, number of tech issues, indeed. You have saved the day, and I thank you, David. California, thank you for coming on. And I appreciate you sharing your experience doing it. Was it a thrill when you did it? Drag. No, I meant drag. drag. Drag has given me. Did it quite give you a, a little thrill? Th- yeah, that's awesome. Fantastic. I wouldn't say it was a journey across the desert with two other gay people, but it was um, quite thrilling up there on that stage for sure. David, well, that's you... just a Friday night for us, though. There you go. <laughs> Not wrong. All right. That's just a Friday night. Listen, guys, I love you very, very much. Thank you for coming on, V. Thank you, David California. Guys, be careful. Have a wonderful Pride this month. Yes, happy Pride. If you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen up in here? Amen Amen up in here. (laughs) (laughs) You were so close, Beth. You're so close. Amen up in here. (laughs) just amen just amen oh my god (laughs) on that note
All right, guys. Note. I'll let you go. This has been the Celluloid Pudding Podcast. You can reach out to us on IG or at celluloidpudding at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much. Have a great evening. Love Good night. This. Good night. Good night.